Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I'm here, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, uh, today we're going to talk about another church father, Ambrose of Milan. Um, this is the guy, this is the, the main thing I knew him for, is this is the guy that converted uh, the famous Augustine, Augustine of, of Hippo. Um, but I think as we'll see, his, his life is a whole lot more than just um, being the guy that helped convert the, the Western church's most famous uh, theologian. So maybe we could start with his early life. Let's talk about talk about Ambrose and and also what sets him apart from from the other fathers. Well, the first thing you know when you look at his background is you're going to see what really makes him unique is he comes first of all he comes from an old Christian family. Okay, and that's really important because it's like speaking a language natively. Is I mean a lot of people we have as fathers are converts and things, and so they you know it's something different to actually have grown up with a, uh, an old, not just his parents, his grandparents, you know, so he grew up in the faith. He was raised in the faith. But his, also his father was a high Roman official. So he was really big in the in Roman political life, uh, the family was. And so they were imbued with Roman culture. So he had a thorough Christian culture. I mean, he was raised as a, a, a very, uh, a full-fledged, you know, dyed-in-the-wool Christian, but he also had a complete Roman culture. So the combination of the two really makes him, he's just the quintessential Christian Roman. So he's from, he's from a long line of Christianity, but also he's fully entrenched into affairs of state. So he's, he's kind of a, he's an important, from an important background. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he combines both. I mean, and actually his career will combine both unexpectedly. Now, when his dad dies, what he does, he moves to Rome to get a really solid education. So Trier, by the way, is in Germany. You know, think, uh, you know, uh, there on the Rhine River in Germany. So he, which was a very important thing, it was one of the big, Ro- uh, the outposts of the Roman Empire, you know, in the north. So his father had been an important official there, but he says, hey, his dad's dead. Let's go down to Rome and get a really good education. And this is going to be very important for his life in the church because by this time, early on, everybody in Rome, everyone with an education knew Greek. It was fluent. Uh-huh. They were raised that way in the first century and even in the second century. By, the, by this time, however... Uh, that's not true anymore. And so he gets really fluent in Greek. I mean, he gets a okay. thorough education. And this is really uncommon since the end of, you know, the first century. It's not the automatic thing at all. I mean, people, a lot of people like Augustine don't have that. You know, that he has a thorough knowledge of Greek. He starts out as a Roman official. So we finish his school. What does he do? He's a governor of northern Italy. And what's happening here, we have to understand, is by this time, northern Italy is a whole lot more important than southern Italy. Rome is sort of now, like Athens, became a backwater university mm-hmm. town. Rome is now a backwater. Uh, Milan is the imperial residence in the west. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's so, governor of northern Italy. That's where the imperial residence is in the west, is in Milan, not Rome. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Rome is the is the ancestral city, but it's not really... Ha- it's 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 not that important anymore it's kind of starting to decline in so been there done that yeah Yeah, i mean (laughs) it's too bad (laughs) and so for very practical terms it's just not and so what's funny is he is the governor there 
And remember, the Lombards and things come into the north. They're a Germanic tribe. That's why northern Italy is so different to this day from southern Italy. Northern Italians look different, etc. It's a very different type of culture. Well, the Ar- remember, the Lombards brought with them Arianism. And so this ongoing battle for a while between Arians, you know, people who denied the divinity of Christ, you know, and Catholic Christians who, uh, you know, believe, you know, what we do in the, in the divinity of Christ. So what happens is the bishop dies, and there's a real fight in the, who's going to take over the diocese, you know, for the, when an Arian bishop dies. Okay. And so what happens, there's a riot, and he's come to quell the riot. And he's chosen by acclamation. He's a police officer who comes to, you know, they had a vote for bishop, you know, to who would be the bishop. So he comes to quell the riots, and people said, Ambrose Bishop, Ambrose Bishop. <laughs> So, like, both sides say that. Well, enough people, the, ma- the clear majority did. Okay, okay. Remember, you're uh, having an Aryan, Aryan aristocracy over people who come from a Catholic background. Uh-huh, the Lombards uh-huh. come in, you know. So, yeah. But in any event, he has strong support. So, ironically, given the fact he, he comes from a Christian family but was very common at that time, he wasn't actually baptized because <laughs> okay, people yeah. often delayed baptism. So he moved from being baptized to being a bishop in one week. <laughs> but again he was raised in a thoroughly christian family remember constantine yeah, was, yeah. was 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 uh baptized on his deathbed right right that was kind of a weird thing they did at the time it was right? a weird thing for a period of time so he actually becomes bishop of one of the most important cities in that time you know milan and he makes a transition to uh to they're going to be nicene you know catholic they are going to follow what we say in the, the creed the nicene creed the sure. nicene creed and what he, he insists that he has to be uh, consecrated, you know, ordained by Nicaeans. But he also is not going to get rid of the priests and things. He's not going to have a purge. You know, the, you know, the, um, uh, he brings back exiles who have been exiled, but priests who are in place, he leaves standing clergy alone. Okay, okay. You know, he leaves them alone. And he needs to get some serious theological study, he says. So he basically goes to a, a guy, Simplicianus was a really good scholar, and he said, look, I'm a bishop now. I need to have some, you know, I have a good Christian background, but I need like professional, like being ordained, like going to seminary. I need that kind of training. And it had a very strong scriptural focus. I mean, this guy is all Bible. You'll love that. He has very strong scriptural focus. And also, one of the things that really bothered Romans is the Old Testament. You see, yeah. the thing they were embarrassed about is they thought their stories were a little embarrassing, uh, the stories of the gods. Well, they found some of the stories in the Old Testament embarrassing and hard to find them hard to, to, um, to explain in a, in a holy book. Sure. And so Philo and Origen get away around that by the analogical interpretations of the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. And that really helped him to say, no, there's a deeper meaning. There's foreshadowings and things. So you can't just stop at some of the things you see. They're, they have a deeper meaning. That was right. really a, a, a stumbling. For Augustine, it was a big stumbling block. Sure. And he found a way for them to get over that. And also, because he really knew Greek, this guy really studied the Greek fathers, which is glorious. I mean, he really could bring authentic firsthand knowledge of what they believed. So he brings it all there. He had a strong, he really fell in love with the Bible. He dealt with, how do I tell Romans how the beauties of the Old Testament since they, they're put off by their initial contact? It looks like, you know, the stories... Um, and the early... Some that were not so morally inspiring. Okay. Sure. Yeah, what and, do we get out of this? Yes, and then the early Greek father. So he brings it all together. And uh, he. So and this is all after a, 
a pretty unexpected career change. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> expect the career change. <laughs> comes into the church to to put down a riot, comes out leader of the church. That's, yeah, that's pretty wild. Uh, really wild. I mean, but he did, and it was a divine. Uh, one of the stories is the dove is supposed to have descended on him, and that's why people call it, you know, he's the one, this is a sign. I see, I see. Okay, but he really, so what you're saying is he really takes that responsibility seriously. He's like, all right, time to get trained, time to you know, time to lead the church as best I can. It reminds you, to me, I, he's, in that way, reminds me a lot of Beckett. Uh, Thomas mm-hmm. Beckett was anything but edifying. But, you know, <laughs> that's why he was put in as Archbishop of Canterbury, because the uh, the king thought he could just use him. But when he was ordained, he really thought, I'm this, I can answer to God. And he sure, really had a conversion. Sure. I mean, he became a bishop's bishop, much to the chagrin of the king. Okay, yeah, so I see. So he really, Ambrose really takes a strong Nicene position and very cannily shapes the, the church in Milan back into that direction, but without causing too much of a stir. Um, yeah, there are still going to be stirs, but I mean, he really does try to minimize needless friction. Got it. Uh, now, one thing he does is now that we have officially things have become Christian, he says, I have, you know, what about, there are still pagans around, and he thought he supported things like removing the altar of victory in the Senate at Rome. He says, we're a Christian, uh, Christ, you know, we're Christians now, it's having a, an altar to a pagan god in the very assembly where we make our decisions in the Roman Senate. And that really bothered a lot of pagans. The, the altar of victory yeah. was what, you know, the, uh, he ends subsidies for the Vestal Virgins and for pagan priests, saying, uh, he, you know, we're not going to pay for this. We're not going to pay to support paganism. And okay, they were they so, were state supported cults. So these are like these are like government supported religious institutions. Right. It was it was a state yeah. church. Yeah, and so they were supported. And he does re, re, now with the Arians, he did re, resist imperial tents to hand over a church, for example, in Milan. They said, Well, we want to have a church for the Arians. He said, I will not turn over any church for the Arians. And matter of fact, that at one time had the, the people of Milan have to occupy it to stop it, you know, from um, surrounded by troops. A very dramatic moment. Wow. So wait, so the, so the Arians have have imperial support and they Yeah. The top likes them. Arianism is very popular at the top. Okay. Okay. So the so so the, this situation though they're the the Arian faction is the the state was trying to help them uh take a a Nicene church and flip it to become Arian. Yeah. They still wanted oh, to have have a church there and he said I can't do that. So he said we can't support paganism and I can't allow any of the church's property to be used for Arianism. So he, so they go in and they like the the nice the 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 Catholics go in and like occupy the church. Yeah, and, like occupy and, Wall Street. It was occupy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like like church, like yeah. Greenpeace, like lashing themselves to a tree or something like that, so it won't be cut. It's down. It's like, like you were there. Yes. Yeah. And the troops, <laughs> okay, uh, troops that's, that's that's pretty awesome. It was wow, awesome. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. And then, so so he's willing he's willing to really walk the walk here, and, and yeah, uh, he's not just a politician. Like he's a really convinced. He's really he's ready to go to the mat for this stuff. Well, one really showed as a Christian emperor is what had happened is there had been a riot in Thessalonica, you know, at the at the games. Mm-hmm. And so the emperor, some people got crazy about this at the games, actually knocked over a statue of the emperor and things, you know, had sort of, um, you know, you know, toppling statues. The emperor yeah. was not amused, but he sent his guys out and the guys really were excessive. They actually killed thousands of people. Wow. Okay. And um, Ambrose, when he came, he said, 
he couldn't, he wouldn't give him communion. He wouldn't let him come to the church until he had done public penance. You're responsible for the death of thousands of people. There was no justification for this, killing thousands of people, you know, because of this. And so he insisted that the emperor himself had to, had to perform public penance. Mm-hmm. The emperor wasn't above the church. He was subject to church morality. He comes from a political background, but at this point, now that he's he's on the church side of the aisle, he's not going to just let the the imperial power run the board. Let's 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 talk about that. So Ambrose Ambrose is is a bit. You talked about at the beginning. He's a big influence on the Western Church. So yes. how does this career influence things going forward? Well, one of the reasons he's an influence is um, again, as we more and more are divorced from Greek, is he's a really good Rome, uh, Latin writer. I mean, he's a very good speaker. Augustine, who was a professional speaker, was impressed. Mm. So I'm one of the things, but he, um, some of the things are legacy is insistence that the emperor uh, could not support the church's rivals, that the emperor could not have a voice in matters of faith. The emperor thought, remember, like we have Constantine at the Council of Nicaea, is emperor saying, well, if we support Arianism, maybe we should go Arian. He said, no, the emperor cannot have a voice in, in matters of faith. Mm-hmm. And that they were subject to the moral law of the church. Okay, you yeah. know, uh, they weren't above the law of God. Sure, they would sure. be subject the, to church discipline like anybody else. So this is a legacy of um, distinguishing the church from the state, which you we've talked about before. Yes. That's a real mark of the Western Church, right? So right, exactly. He's it's a not key as player. though it's not as though the church and the state can't act consonantly but it's that they are two realms of authority and the one can't intrude upon the other yeah that that you know the church has certain rights that have to be respected independent of the state Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay okay well let's talk about so you said he again so he's maybe maybe one of the last guys who's totally fluent in greek um but uh so what does he what what does he do? Tell tell us about his writings. Um, what does he leave us? Well, a lot of scholars don't aren't very as fond of Ambrose, even though he's one of the four wet Latin doctors, because he's not original. He doesn't intend to be. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so he basically is taking. He doesn't basically explore further dimensions of. He but he faithfully, he's a popularizer. He you know he 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 makes accessible the doctrines that we find in those readings. He has a lot of his homilies were very uh, were very impressive, based mostly on the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He wrote treatises based on his homilies. He wrote a mystagogy. You know, uh, remember how after people would be baptized, they would learn about the meaning of the sacrament. So he wrote a, a series uh, of mystagogical teachings, which is still can be read yeah. with real profit. Um, you know, Cicero wrote a book on duties. You know, basically, you know, remember that we talked about piety, the idea of which do the, do your be fulfill your responsibilities. Well, he took Cicero's work and basically applied it to Christian clergy. Mm-hmm. So he said, why don't I sort of take Cicero and use those same ideas, but apply? How does it apply to a Christian priest? How does it apply to a deacon mm-hmm. or a bishop? Yeah. And one thing dear to us is the guy thought music was really important in church, and so he's really at the at the beginning of the Latin tradition of Latin hymns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. That, that's and that's a 
that's a long tradition. <laughs> a long tradition. Yeah. But he is, um, uh, you know, we have some, uh, at least one very ancient uh, Latin hymn, which is uh, from Ambrose. So, uh, but he loved, so he read a, con, uh, he had a real contribution there as well. And of course, he wrote a number of letters, which are interesting. Well, this strikes me as, you know, so this is a guy who had a first rate education, yeah. but since he was, uh, his career ends up as a bishop of the church. He he becomes a real church man. So all all of this stuff, you know, uh, homilies and mystagogies and, and yes, yeah, some not terribly original treatises. He's it's not so much his uh, his own scholarly career that he's after, but but the real edification of the church. He's a teacher as a bishop. His idea isn't yeah. to, to plow new ground. His idea is to educate his people. So he's very solid, but again, a lot of times the theologians look at who's bringing something new, who's bringing some new uh, concept to the table or some new development. That's not Ambrose. Everything yeah. in Ambrose is a really nice presentation of what we have. Okay. So he converts Augustine, but his writings aren't like Augustine. <laughs> Let's put it that way. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But again, they were widely read. They're good Latin, uh, very popular, widely, very solid, again, because he had direct knowledge of the Greek underlying Greek text. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Father Stephen. Anything else you have you want to leave us again, with on or Again, Ambrose? he's one of the four great, there are eight doctors of the church. The traditional number is eight doctors of the church. The Roman church sounds like 35 or something or more. But, you know, traditionally for centuries, there are eight doctors, four Greek and four Latin. He's one of the four Latin doctors. When people look, these are authorities. One of the four Latin authorities on the church was Ambrose of Milan. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen, and thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. <laughs>